be seated. Well, we are continuing to make our way through the Lord's Prayer from Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 4. And, you know, there's the, the parallel passage as well in Matthew chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 9. But as we're making our way through this prayer, we're, we are wanting to, um, to look at each individual petition. And this particular petition is found in Luke's prayer, Hallowed Be Your Name. Last week, we considered the, the preface to the Lord's Prayer, which is just Father or Heavenly Father, um, our Father in Heaven. But we considered his, his fatherly goodness and our childlike reverence. We talked about coming before God with heavenly affections that give us hope for the future and confidence in the present. Uh, we recognize that we are praying to a God who is sovereign and full of grace. So this doesn't weaken our responsibility to prayer, but it actually strengthens our resolve in prayer. And Nehemiah we looked at that example from Nehemiah, how he wept and fasted for days over the devastation of Jerusalem, but he still came before God acknowledging his steadfast love and faithfulness. And he was recognizing just the, the, the need for prayer in that moment, and then came before him um, in their despair, acknowledging still God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And then finally, we close by noting just the fact that our, in front of Father, our Father, implies the necessity for corporate and intercessory prayer. So let us look to him now and ask for his help in understanding our time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, um, again, for the instruction you give on prayer in your word. It's not just found here in the Lord's Prayer, but it's found throughout your word, as we've seen already. And we'll continue to see tonight the, the plentiful cross-references that help us to understand how to properly adore you, how to come before you in adoration, and to give you praise for your attributes. Lord, you are a good Father. You are infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in your being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. We thank you that you've revealed yourself to us in that way and that we can offer these prayers of adoration to you. Teach all of us uh, to praise you in this way, to more readily have prayers of adoration on our lips throughout the day, and as we gather corporately, that, that we would be able to engage in this kind of prayer as well, Lord, to know you and to give you praise for who you are. It's in Christ's name we ask it, amen. Well, prayers of adoration tend to be ones that are the most difficult, I find, in praying um, with others seems to be that, that these are the ones that we, we have the least to say. Um, it, there's, a, there's, there's plenty to say, plenty to be said, and yet if you've ever gone to a group where you pray through acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, um, it's oftentimes adoration that, that will be the, the shortest portion. Um, and so it's just evidence of, of our sort of 
just our inability to, to know what to say, our, our unawareness, our, our ignorance on the topic. Um, and so I think this is a really good uh, question and answer from the Westminster Larger Catechism. And we'll look, uh, I'll read question 190 and give the answer. And then we'll consider several passages of Scripture um, in defending this answer. So what do we pray for in the first petition? The answer, in the first petition, which is hallowed be thy name, acknowledging the utter inability and indisposition that is in ourselves and all men to honor God aright, we pray that God would, by his grace, enable and incline us and others to know, to acknowledge, and highly to esteem him, his titles, attributes, ordinances, word, works, and whatsoever he is pleased to make himself known by, and to glorify him in thought, word, and deed, that he would prevent and remove atheism, ignorance, idolatry, profaneness, and whatsoever is dishonorable to him, and by his overruling providence direct and dispose of all things to his own glory. So I, I find in this really, um, I mean, obviously there's several sections in the answer, but I, I'm just going to look at them in, in categories. Um, and the first is sort of taking two, the, the idea of our own utter inability and then God's enabling grace. That's kind of the a summary of that first section, our utter inability and God's enabling grace. This is acknowledged to be implied by the phrase, hallowed be thy name. Right? And so in the first petition, which is hallowed be thy name, acknowledging the utter inability and indisposition that is in ourselves and all men to honor God aright. And so we do not come to God in prayer because we have gained access for ourselves. Uh, when we consider ourselves, we recognize how incapable we are, right? So indisposition, you don't know what that word means. It refers to our reluctance or our lack of enthusiasm to pray, something I'm sure all of us can relate to, right? Indisposition, our own indisposition. It's proper that we should begin praying by acknowledging just how weak we are to pray and our reluctance to go before him in prayer, right? We oftentimes think other things are more important or more pressing than prayer. We come before God in humility by declaring his holiness we begin with his uniqueness and therefore our own, insufficiently, our, our own insufficiency to properly honor him. And if he truly is holy, then we immediately recognize our unworthiness. And that, that is a direct implication of his holiness. But because we pray to a loving father, we can pray with David who said, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. If God opens our lips, then my mouth is able, enabled, in other words, to pray as I ought. We know that we are insufficient in ourselves, but as he enables us to speak to him, praise flows out. And that's not to say it's just automatic, that you don't have to think, right? That you just say, Lord, open my lips. Well, okay, since he didn't do it, I therefore am not going to say anything, right? That would be a bit awkward if you tried that in a prayer meeting. But that's not what it's saying here. Open my lips. We're recognizing that we need the Spirit's help to declare praise rightly. We know that we're insufficient. 
uh, but we can pray to him to, to give us um, the praise or the ability to praise him. And of course, you're going to be inarticulate. You're going to be clumsy at first. Uh, you might have long pauses between thoughts. I think that's to be expected. That's understandable. And the fact that we're praying to our Heavenly Father means He recognizes that, right? He recognizes that you'll do that. It's okay. We pray that God would, by His grace, enable and incline us to know, or incline us and others to know, to acknowledge, and to highly esteem Him. Right? So that's all the idea of God enabling us by His grace. As we might imagine, the Psalms are particularly helpful in teaching us to offer God our adoration in prayer. All right, we want the ways of God and his salvation to be known everywhere. We want to see all the nations praising God, as Psalm 67 teaches. We can ask that people would learn that God reigns and that they would submit themselves to him and praise his great and awesome name, as we read in Psalm 99. We want others to declare his holiness too. And as part of praising him is, is, is recognizing that he is worthy to receive that praise and to be highly esteemed not only by ourselves, esteemed higher in our own hearts, in our own thoughts, that we might enter into prayer more often to adore him, but also to invite others into that praise, invite others into that adoration. And so when we have a right respect for God, we begin to address him by his titles. We want to know the ways that he is, what he's called in his word, what he has revealed about himself through his names. So instead of using his name in vain, we want to hear people acknowledging that God is the Lord most high. Right? As Psalm 83, 18. Um, and, and you can look, there's, there's, there's many, many titles. I don't even know, I didn't count them up, but you have a lot of titles given to the Lord um, our God, and, and that we should be using those various titles in our prayers. In addition, we can begin to learn about his attributes. So adoration is about praising God for who he is. We can honor him for being great, superior, true, loving, gracious, and faithful, as Psalm 86 does. And this is primarily seen in the way that he carries out his redemptive plans. He has delivered Christ and all who are united to him from death. And so we can praise him for the kind of character he has that would offer um, his own son for us. If God has ransomed us for himself, then it's proper that we would also learn something about his ordinances and his word. He learned something about his commands, something about what he... uh, calls us to do in his word. We ought to grow in our own esteem for God, but we also, again, as I mentioned earlier, want to see his word esteemed by others, not just him as God. We want to see him esteemed, but we also want to see his word esteemed. We want to have a greater affection for his word, and we want others to see that as well. Um. So we can praise the Lord that we have his word in our language, as Psalm 147 does, um, and pray that all peoples might have that privilege as well. We recognize that the word of God is not translated into every people group's language. We want to, we want to uh, pray for, to that end. Um, 
We should prioritize Bible reading above every other subject. God has exalted his word above all things, as Psalm 138 teaches. Paul speaks of believers as spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere, that we have an aroma of Christ leading to life for those who who know him and leading to death for those who do not. But how does that aroma spread? Well, it tells us later on, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, by speaking God's word in sincerity and not as salesmen, right? That we aren't peddlers of God's word. We aren't salesmen of his word. That means we, we know his word so much that we can speak it sincerely to others as a word of encouragement to them. By doing that, we are a fragrance of, of the knowledge of God. Uh, you can look to Psalm 8 as well, as we begin to recognize his works and whatsoever he is pleased to make himself known by. When we consider his works, immediately we should be thinking of general revelation, right? his creation, that we can look out at his creation and know something about God's attributes. So Psalm 8 is a perfect example of this, appreciating God's general revelation. But this is also something that that we can simply do wherever we find ourselves, whether we have God's word in front of us or not. We can go to him in prayer, praising him for the things that we see, taking time to pause and appreciate the world in which we live. And especially if your family goes on vacation, think about those as opportunities to appreciate God in his creation. We can see something of God's order and beauty in the way that he's made all things. So we have been created to glorify God, and so we, we ask him to enable us to glorify him in thought, word, and deed. And this is the, the basic purpose of our prayer of invocation. We have it both in our, um, both services right now, our AM and PM service. We have that prayer of invocation. After the call to worship, God calls us to worship him, and then we, we um, ask for his help in doing so. We, we invite him to enable us. We recognize that, that we're possibly even distracted, right? Right as we begin the worship service, we, we, we recognize that we come in with different things on our mind and we need to kind of position the posture of our heart before him in that moment. And so a prayer of invocation is asking him to enable us to glorify him in that worship. So we want to engage our, our whole being in worship, we ask our soul to bless the Lord, as David does in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Uh, we ask God to receive our words of praise as well as the meditations of our heart, as Psalm 19 does. We pray for an increase of love that is coupled with knowledge and discernment so that we might be pure and blameless for Christ's return and filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So notice that, that's from Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we, we pray for the, that we might be pure and blameless for Christ's return, and at the same time, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ, right? We, we, we await his return. We want to, we want to be in a place that, that we are ready and, and excited for his return, and we recognize that we need his help in doing that. We need his enabling, right? We need Christ to make us who he calls us to be. That's why, how we can be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And then Psalm 100, since God made us, we belong to him. 
And so we give him thanks and praise. So that's kind of the first section there, recognizing both God's uh, or our utter inability and then God's enabling grace. And I think that ought to give us um, a great sense of assurance as we come to him in prayer, uh, trying to adore him. And I, I think this next section also gives us uh, more things to consider, but it's God's, there, there's two sides of this as well. God's negation of dishonor or the removal of things that, bring, that do not bring him glory and the addition of his glory, right? We want him to, to turn all things for, his good, for our good and for his glory. And we also want him to remove anything that distracts from his glory. And the, that's two sides of the same coin. Right? That he would prevent and remove atheism, ignorance, idolatry, profaneness, and whatsoever is dishonorable to him. Some of the scripture references we have in this section is, if we give God praise for his holiness, then we want to pray for the removal of everything that clouds his holiness, not, not, not as if his holiness is diminished in any way, but our visual, our ability to see or recognize his holiness, our ability to know about it is clouded uh, by the presence of sin in our own lives or the, the rebellion of this fallen world. So as the nations turn to God, ignorance is replaced by faith. Psalm 67 teaches us that. As more people live according to the spirit of wisdom and revelation, hope replaces doubt, as we learn from Ephesians chapter 1. And so we ought to pray boldly that idolaters are brought to shame, Psalm 97, that God would defend his cause against fools who revile him, Psalm 74. Hezekiah gives us an example of praying in 2 Kings 19. He asked God to hear and to see the mockery of Sennacherib and to bring judgment upon him. And so we look to our sovereign God to rule over the nations that despise him. We ask for him to execute judgment on those who oppose the people of God. Again, Psalm 83, it's an example of an imprecatory psalm, which you may have heard the psalms that, that call for God to bring judgment upon those nations that conspire against the people of God. It's a, it's a calling out for God uh, to act justly in this world, to, to bring justice into a fallen world. Um, it doesn't always make us comfortable to pray things like that, and yet it is one of God's attributes. It's when we declare his holiness, one of the things we declare is that he is just. And one of the things we need to recognize is that he is just to bring judgment. And so we can pray that we would be preserved against the violence of others, right? That God would thwart the plans of the wicked, as Psalm 140 does. Okay, so that's, that's one side of praying that God would remove those things and then also praying that he would, by his overruling providence, direct and dispose of all things for his own glory, right? Asking him to glorify himself, essentially, Romans eleven thirty three through 36 says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him. Be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
And so taking all the things that even confuse us, that confound us, we want him to use them all for his glory. And we've seen that several times in, in Revelation, this um, proclaiming God's divine attributes. Another more examples of, of giving God praise and adoring him in this way. Um, the hosts of heaven in, in just the four different hymns that we've seen so far in Revelation 4.11, 5.12, um, and 5.13, and then also 7.12. Those four hymns, we, we hear this. The hosts of heaven declare his glory, his honor, power, wealth, wisdom, might, thanksgiving, and blessing. So there's eight different words there attributed to God that, that they were praising him for. The heavenly hosts, the 24 elders, the four living creatures that are surrounding the throne, um, they're, the myriads of angels, they're all praising God with those attributes. There's, there's eight listed there, and in one, one hymn, there's only three listed. In another one, there's four. In another one, there's seven. And then in another one, there's seven. But it's all the same attributes being repeated. Right? There's a lot of repetition in our adoration. And sometimes we, I think, maybe wrongly disparage songs with a rep uh, repetitive chorus. Um, sometimes... I think those songs repeat the wrong lines, focus on the wrong things. Maybe they're, they're inward focused and not towards God. But repetition in itself is not necessarily bad. I mean, we see it all the time in the Psalms, and we certainly see it here in Revelation in the hymns that they are singing. They're saying pretty much the same things. So, I mean... Um, when it comes to adoring his attributes, it is to be expected that we will sound like we're saying the same things, and that's okay, right? So in conclusion, this catechism, it questions, uh, or the question argues that praising God for his holiness requires humility and his enabling grace, um, but we can certainly say that the right, uh, we can say the right words without truly understanding or knowing what we're talking about, right? It's, it's, quite easy to pray, uh, to just simply say the words that we've considered here. I mean, you can just say, you can declare those things to God and not really mean them, right? And so the idea that we need to be enabled, the, the length of this answer, in fact, uh, the, that the fact that the answer is so robust implies that we are talking about true adoration, not just the topic of adoration, but we're, we want to truly enter into adoration of God. And for that, we need his help. We need his enabling spirit uh, to help us in our prayers. All right, it, it, it's a kind of adoration that comes from the depths of our soul, our hearts. And so he places us in the, the spirit, places us in the right posture, transforms our affections so that we desire to glorify God uh, both ourselves uh, and, to, and, and to pray that others would enter into glorifying him and also see the removal of everything that dishonors him. So I hope that encourages you in your prayer, your own personal prayer life, but also as we gather in various opportunities for corporate prayer. So let's adore him now. Heavenly Father, you are good. 
You are a great, loving God. You are steadfast in faithfulness towards us. You have given us grace and mercy. You are a kind Father. Lord, you have not withheld your only Son from us because you're a good Father. And so we come to you asking that we would see our own unworthiness as we give you praise, that we would recognize how much we are dependent upon your Spirit to enable us to give you the right kind of adoration. Lord, even even now, after just learning about this, we are still learning how to adore you. And we want to do so from our hearts. We don't want this to just simply be vain repetition. We don't want it to be mindless reciting of, of characteristics and attributes that we've considered or heard about in your word, but that we would truly consider these things, that we would be filled with gratitude for knowing you, Lord, as you've revealed yourself to us. So we thank you that you are mighty, that you are infinite and eternal and unchangeable. And we want to continue to, to lift up our hearts to you in adoration as we sing in response of your holiness. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.